Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's French Open Round 3 Catch-Up, sponsored by the Boodles. We're back in a withdrawals due to illness. Rublev falls in five. And Irina Sabalenka declines her press conference. Chris, today is the 4th of June and we are here to catch up on round three of the French Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. Sadly, you are no longer in the grounds of Roland Garros. Uh, you are back, back in, what, well, back in London. Um, are you, how are you feeling? Are you have, have you had any withdrawal symptoms yet of not being in Paris? Well, whilst I was on the Eurostar, I was... Um... Firstly, I was joined by Jeremy Shardy, which made <laughs> leaving. I felt like I was taking a part of the French Open with me in many ways. Were you starstruck? Um, no, but I think he realised that I knew who he was. Was he starstruck? Because he was in the presence of Tennis Weekly podcast. Um, I did have my microphone out, so maybe that's why he was looking at me and I was trying to get an interview with him. <laughs> oh, was no, he um, scared? He, was, he had that fear of, oh God, this guy is going to ask me questions. I think maybe he also thought slightly at the Eurostar Terminal Gardenord that maybe we we knew each other, <laughs> that I wasn't crazy. <laughs> um, but anyway, it was fine. And then since I got back and looking at the, the scores, I don't think I missed much on Chatria yesterday. Yeah. It seems like there I mean, wasn't I much you, tennis. Yeah, just generally across all all of yesterday, just looking at all the singles matches available, there really wasn't a lot going on, was there? No, and they weren't close. I mean, I was looking at this and it begs the question about scheduling on Chatrier because if you have um, a withdrawal, obviously unavoidable, and then a double bagel, I think Holger mm. only lost about eight games. Yeah. Um, and that's your, your ticket. We could have got the night session started, it felt like a lot earlier because of, yeah, the pace, some of the thrashings really were, that we saw. Hopefully we're getting all of them out of the way before the second mm, week. Um, exactly. But it did make it, it did make it a lot easier not being there because it's like when you go on holiday and your weather might not be amazing where you are, but it's raining at home, you know. <laughs> so well, we're going to be. Out. Well, we're going to be talking about all of the action that did happen on day seven and day six. But before we get into that, I just want to remind our listeners of our Boodles competition. If you want to enter. This is your last chance. The competition will close at midnight tonight. Winners will be announced in our double quick time round four catch up tomorrow evening. We're also going to give a collector set update. So, Chris, it really is all going on with the pod at the moment. It really is. And collector set, I think we've been postponing. <laughs> How bad is an collector update? set for everyone because of, well, because of everything? I mean, this has to be one of our worst years for Collector Set to date. I mean, Australia was not a great performance. I was feeling confident with our 
player picks, if I'm being quite honest. I thought there was a good range in there. I thought there were a few kind of un, you know unknowns, but no, not to it, be. No, I've archived our prediction posts on Instagram. That's what I should do, just to the try and hide gods, the fact. Yeah, the tennis gods were not were not kind to us. Um, I mean, the tennis gods were not kind to us, and we've got to start with um, something that hasn't happened in 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 round three, but it happened in round two again whilst we were recording. The the French tennis fans were not kind to Taylor Fritz, were they? You were at this match. We need to talk about it because. Well, maybe not the match itself, but certainly Taylor Fritz's, shall I say, celebration after winning against the last French uh, French player standing in Paris, uh, shushing the crowd, mm. being live in the arena whilst that was going on. What did you make of it? I mean... From an atmospheric perspective, it was like nothing I'd witnessed um, from a crowd sort of at a sporting event, especially a tennis event. Um, We all know the French crowd has a reputation for letting people know what they think. I mean, we've seen them boo their own players if they're not performing well enough, but they also will really try and get involved if their players are struggling. And in fairness to the French crowd, there was only one player, one French player left in the draw and he was on court. So they they were trying to get... Uh, him to lift his game and he obviously started well but it's all started to go a bit pear-shaped when um, he started to get a little bit more um, animated at certain times and it almost feels like there should be a rule book for playing at the French Open which is do not celebrate (laughs) against a French player unless you want to feel the full fury of the Parisian (laughs) crowd but it was it was very unfortunate from being there I think it's you don't want to see anyone booing anybody, but you do think that they weren't being particularly unfair. It's annoying. They're singing the French national anthem. It's a great atmosphere in terms of the French event in that sense. Um, but I mean, imagine if that was in the US. That's very weird to be singing the national anthem whilst you're waiting to serve a point. Is it not tit for tat, given given how hostile the crowds have been? This is just simply a player dishing it back. I didn't personally like it. I felt like it wasn't necessary. And I think um, he could have just had a quiet celebration no one was actively, I think people don't understand that no one was actively hoping that someone doesn't do well. They just really want their French player to win. And if that's a double fault, that's a double fault. They will cheer and miss mm. first serve. It's not the way to do it. It's not particularly, as we said, kind. Um, but I don't think it was personal against Taylor Fritz. And if he was playing against someone else in the next round, I think they would have happily cheered him on. Um, but poor Marion Bartoli. I mean, she turned up looking absolutely wonderful in a sparkling dress um, and then she just got booed for about five minutes, yeah. got one question out. They had to abandon the press conference. So you do think that there is a read the room aspect there from Taylor as well as from um, the interviewers that probably that wasn't the best time to try and uh, give someone a microphone um, when the crowd was obviously not going to have any of it. Yeah, I think I think they got down to kind of we're going to do one question and that's it because I don't know if they did they feel like it could have gone further than than booing like do you think they only did one question because you just don't know what was going to happen given you know he effectively incited the the crowd could someone have like I don't know jumped the barriers and and confronted him did it did it mm. feel like that in the crowd or did you still think it was on that that sort of playful side I think it's hard hard to know I think the atmosphere was very much like people were enjoying themselves alcohol was being mm. consumed um but then we've seen incidents in tennis that weren't in an atmosphere like that where very very sad yeah. and awful things have happened like yeah. Monica Sellers at the French and and things like that so I don't think it's anywhere in the same league. I think it's very much match specific in terms of what they're what they're kind of booing about. Um, 
I don't think that he would have had any, any problems even walking around the grounds the next day. I think it is very isolated in that sense. Um, I just think it was just all a bit unnecessary. And I think the excitement got away with the French crowd. And I think shushing the crowd, I mean, when you've beaten Arthur Rindeneck, I mean, of all the performances he's ever had, I mean, that's <laughs> I not really, four sets to Rindeneck isn't mm. really the one where you, you made a statement victory. <laughs> but hey, he had his moment. He had his Medvedev mm. moment. We love characters in the sport. I'm just secretly hoping that come US Open, we get Taylor Fritz versus a, a French a Frenchman, oh. and a Frenchman wins, and uh, you know role reversal. It's just, just the crowd. I mean, it's just, they just will the remember crowd. this. Yeah. They will remember this. And, and <laughs> listeners, if you'd like to see that, we actually have posted the full video on our YouTube channel um, of that of that moment, um, which is getting a lot of heat. There's a, mm. a lot of American yeah. and French people thought. in the comments. So, thought. yeah, uh, it's very unfortunate, but. It kind of is what makes the French Open I know, exciting it in is, some ways. Yes, it is uh, like it is like nothing else. And the crowds are probably some of the most hostile you can experience on the Grand Sam stage. Certainly not like Wimbledon. One player who's not going to be experiencing, though, the, the hostility um, or just generally the, the, the crowds anymore is Elena Rabakina, who has withdrawn from the competition. She cited a viral illness um i think she was having some sleepless nights a fever a headache and decided to call it quits um she was scheduled to face sara Suribes tormo first match on chatrier and a few hours before called a press conference i mean all credit to her to be fair to to come out and and actually go in front of the the media um but said yeah she was not going to be taking any further part in the tournament um chris this caught me completely by surprise we thought you know the the progress this week of Rebecca so far has been pretty serene, but this this stuff obviously going on in in the background, um, it, it took its toll. Yeah, I mean, clearly it did. I think there's something going around in Paris. I think that's kind of the word mm. from um, what people have said at kind of the locker room. Um, there's a few people. Um, I don't think that Pagula necessarily had the same thing, but we'll talk about no. that a bit later. Yeah. Where she's was under the weather, she did play. Um, they didn't go I to mean, the same restaurant, did they? Well, I mean, I'm not sure they're buddies, but um, who knows? Who knows? Um, but I found out the news when I was I was digging into my tennis ball shaped um, Eurostar cheesecake. Um, <laughs> and I just thought this is a wonderful trip. And I just thought it's all come tumbling down in Paris, you know, um, because I think she was my favorite for it. And having watched her play, um, playing so well, playing within mm, herself, yeah. you have to feel if she can land a few serves, she's got a great chance of getting through some of these players. And against someone like Sara Cerebres Tormo, like you have to play like Emma Raducanu did against her at the US Open. You've got to be in and out as quickly as possible. Go for every shot. Don't get long rallies. But she is the worst opponent if you don't want to spend much time on court to play against. So you can understand. But I guess the question I have, and obviously it's absolutely gutting for her and she wouldn't withdraw if it wasn't very bad. But should she have turned up? Because Venus has turned up before, played one game, gone home. Should she have turned up and tried, even though she knows it wouldn't necessarily have gone well, or we've seen Serena play in, in Paris completely sick the entire time and still win the title. Um, was this too much of a precaution or do we think this was a necessary measure? I Do you know what? I I would have liked to have seen her taken to the court. I completely understand Sara Sibes Tormos, one of the most physical athletes on the tour. We know her matches always seem to go to, to three sets. Um, but I would have liked to have seen Rebecca give it a go. As you said, I felt like she was playing so well that 
if she had come in with a strategy of right i don't feel 100 percent, i'm going to try and keep the, the the points as short as possible then i think it could have it could have maybe been enough we'll play one set you know and if you don't win that first set we've seen that before where players know they can't go the full extent after that we saw that in the rome mm. final as well um but it did feel like, for example, if you're able to do a press conference, I'm not saying playing sport at the world's highest level mm. is the same as a press conference. But when you are and you do have a very bad fever, I mean, you're bedridden. So that for me gave me hope that, you know, if you're able to do a press conference, you're able to get yourself out of bed. There's a chance um, that I also do fully understand that grass is where she's expected to do the best. Um, and if you do put your body under stress when you're not feeling well, you don't want to jeopardise defending a Wimbledon title, that's for sure. The mere presence or the mere prospect of facing SST, yeah, it it was like, I'm calling that press conference now. You know what? Um, Maybe she wanted the four hours back. You know, she didn't want to have to be <laughs> yeah, out there that long. Exactly. Look, I want to get I want to get to the UK. I want to go onto some grass courts. I don't, I don't want a four-hour slog against uh, uh, Cerebus Tormo. Um, yeah, I mean, who do you think is the biggest beneficiary of... Rebecca withdrawing because obviously Shriontek is on her side of the draw. Would you say she is the the biggest kind of beneficiary of of this? Is is the kind of French Open ladies draw? Are we just clamouring to the hope now of Shriontek versus Sabalenka in a final? I mean, that might be what the people want, but I definitely want Sloan to be there. Um, so <laughs> very true. You've already derailed me there on that question, but mm. um, no, I do think the big beneficiary is obviously Eager. She has what's probably becoming a bit of a mental block when it comes to playing against Rebecca. So I think she obviously will be disappointed that she can't prove to everyone mm. um, that she is able to beat her and finish the match and beat her. I think she would have wanted a statement win for sure. Um, but at the same time, I don't think she'll be sad that she doesn't have to play her in order mm. to pick up a, a third title here. Um, but again, I mean, it's, it's, I was completely shocked by this and I don't think any of us saw it coming um, and so for Iga, I think she was probably mentally preparing for a much tougher French Open defence than maybe it's looking like she's going to have to have given the results she had on Chatria yesterday, mm. Joel. I know. Double double bagel. I mean, she's only lost eight games in three matches, four bagels. Um, yeah, six love, six love against Goodness. Wang. Um, I was reading Wang was coming into the French Open 0-6 on on clay in WTA main draws. So it was almost a little bit surprising. I think she got to round three in the first place. But, yeah, and um, then she met the final boss of clay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then she was like, okay, this is a real, this is a I've real clay court. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, no one, I don't think anyone really likes to see double bagels happen. I know they create great headlines and I know we can talk about Iga Sviantec and the bakery. I know Iga Sviantec, to her credit, I think, you know, in her press conference, she likes to shut down those talks because she thinks it's, you know, dis disrespectful to her opponent. But certainly I think from what we saw of Sviantec in, in round one to this performance, that ominously perhaps feels like Sviantec is, the full package is coming together. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think um, the big the big difference for me was that her second serve was that much better. She didn't face mm. a single break point. Um, and Wang is someone who, the way that she does play, and anyone who's seen her play, um, she does like to grind out points, but she is also perfectly capable of taking on a shot, and that would have been her plan. Um, and so for her to be so effective behind first serve, second serve, and on return, 
I mean, she won 68% um, of points against the first serve and 80 mm. against the second. Um, I'm not quite sure how it lasted 53 minutes because the stats were, I mean, truly um, very one-sided. But for Iga, I think it's just a case where, you know, some of these players, like um, in her last round and her first round, you know, they can, all the, anyone in a Grand Slam draw can play. And so to show that someone who has made it to a third round, you're able to, to double bagel, this wasn't a round one. Um, it's around three. So I think it's um it's it's impressive. And I think her next draw against Serenko, I think that is also a really good draw for her because they played quite recently. Um and obviously Iga got through that one. Um and so it's almost like the draw couldn't have unfolded better for her. I mean, just just on Serenko, she defeated Bianca Andrescu six one, six one. I think we're all clamoring to the prospect of Shiontech, blockbuster prospect of Shiontech Andrescu in round four. What I saw that I didn't watch much of that match, but what happened with Andrescu in that match? Because I was not expecting breadstick, breadstick in favor of Serenko. And it's the opposite of how Bianca plays. If mm. she doesn't, she's one of those players that does have a plan A, she's got a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, plan E, because she's got so much variety in her game. If she needs to win ugly, she can. And, and this obviously looked like she just didn't have anything that was working, I'd have to say. I mean, the unforced errors were very, very high, and we all was have that seen because it's of Serenko, or was this just Andrescu not not turning up? It was an off day, I think. And then a case of if you are having an off day and mm. you're having a bit of a Madison Keys unforced error moment, um, it can easily go away from you if your opponent is having a gr- a good day. I mean, Serenko's numbers were in the positive differential when it came to mm. winners versus unforced errors, and the gap just exploded as the match went on. Um, she did. Um, I mean, if you look at the, some of the stats from that, uh, Serenka only made 49% of first serves. Um, and so it does kind of tell you that clearly um, there were chances um, when it came to that. And even if she was really going for the serve, Bianca was not mm. able to handle it. So a big shame. But again, I'm sure Bianca can take something positive from the fact that she was able to play the French Open, which looked like it would be in doubt after that awful injury in Miami. So... Um, onto the grass for Bianca. And, uh, well, another player uh, like Serenko, who in the end had a very, very comfortable win with two breadsticks, 6 on 6 one was Coco Goff, who defeated Mira Andriva. Uh, dropped the first set in a tiebreak, 6-7, but as I said, came through 6-1, six, 6-1 one, six, one in sets two and three. Now, Chris, this was being sort of billed, or well, in my head anyway, as like almost like the battle, the battle of the teenage prodigies you know, this was a very interesting prospect for Coco Goff. She had, um, I think this was like her th- only her third or fourth match ever that um, she was facing an opponent that was younger um, than her. What Again, what did, you, what did you see of this match given, you know, Coco Goff and her forehand troubles? It looked like her backhand, particularly in that second and third sets, she was, she was swinging freely, she was swinging great. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a little bit scratchy, I think, to, to begin with. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think it was um, for sure. I got the chance to see some of Coco playing in Paris mm. and I think she played much better than she has recently. And I, I think what are these sorts of results? Because it's so hard playing against someone when you are the young hope, then playing the next mm. young hope and everyone wants the headline to be kind of Coco Goff is beaten by someone even younger than her, you know? And I think that's something where you've got to feel that pressure. And in that first set, I think she did. And then after that, I think she thought, you know what, this can go one of two ways. I can lift my game. I've got nothing to lose. Um, and she really made her mark on the match. And I think 
super impressed because after that first set, I thought, here we go. This is not going to be um, a three set comeback. And I would not have predicted the scoreline to be like this. So um, I think it's a, a really, really, really good result because Andreva has been causing a lot of players problems. Mm. Um and for her, it's a great learning curve. It felt like she just ran out of steam or or she had put yeah. all her eggs in one basket for that first set and didn't really have much to much else to give. And you could see, I think, the frustration kind of boil over. I think she was arguably a little bit lucky. She didn't get defaulted because I think she hit a ball into the stands, received a warning, yes. was lucky it did not hit anyone. But maybe that, again, shows... You know her. Uh, you know, understandably, her lack of maturity on the court, given you know she's only what sixteen years old on the tour. Yeah, I mean that is um, obviously something where I mean we've seen players who've been around a long time sort of hit the ball into mm. the stands. Um, <clears throat> Novak Djokovic, but um, I think something that is key from this one would be in these big moments is how to be able to kind of keep your level up, um, and I think against someone like Coco, who is the best defender in the game, you can't really just do it in one set because she is going to get the balls back in play. And if you do start to question it, it's going to get pretty dicey because mm. Coco is one of the best movers, if not the best mover on the tour, and Clay is her favourite surface. So it's a bit like playing against Sloan, is that, and for Sabalenka this evening, you've got to have the game plan, execute the game plan, and if that does not work, then you're you're in quite a lot of trouble if you're a big hitter. <laughs> I mean, we also had Schmiedlever go through Onzibor, Bernarda Pera. The dark but I need horse to... of the competition, yeah. Joel. Well, hang on. My call. dark horse is Beatrice Haddad Meyer. You know I'm a big fan. Um, she is your favourite. <laughs> she, uh, yeah, she came through um, in, in three sets. Um, I didn't realise this. That was the first time she's gone past round two of a major despite being at a career high ranking of 12 now those things those things don't go together i know she had a great grass court last season last season up to wimbledon and then like went out early but um seems to me that i think had admire is is delivering on the goods this time i mean i've never heard of a player <laughs> with a ranking of 12 that's never been past the second <laughs> round so this isn't even like no. she was able to go one better she's gone two better um so i think that's something... to be reckoned with chris i mean but do you enjoy the matches joel would be my question i think at times i do but sometimes it can get pretty um pretty long-winded mm. i would say um but i mean it's great to see because if someone obviously has that level of talent where they can get themselves ranked up to 12 in the world um you don't want to see them be kind mm. of unable to replicate that on the biggest stage so first time in the round of 16 she's a tough opponent and, you know, with Joel's kiss of death of, of supporting her, <laughs> I'm sure that she will go out in the next round. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do think some. there are some times when I think she's a great player on the tour. Has she been able to replicate that when it gets Discipline, to absolutely. the really important tournaments, i.e. Grand Slams? It's yeah, it's been found wanting a little bit. But yeah, good to see her doing well at the French Open. Moving on to the men's side, Chris, we've already alluded to. Uh, you're going to have to take me through this kind of next, I feel like, 10 15 minutes of the pod because i am i am on, honestly unmotivated by talking about a lot of these men's matches that happened today perhaps the most interesting one was the night session match it was francis tiafo versus sasha zverev perhaps a lot of people would have had tiafo coming through this giving zverev's form struggles of late but uh no it was zverev coming through uh 3676 i'm not gonna lie it was not pretty at times um i know 
I had a few friends message me saying this gave them US Open 2020 final vibes uh, between between team and Zverev in terms of who who's doing the best to lose this essentially. But yeah, but still a good win for Zverev. That was his first top 20 win since 2022 after seven consecutive losses. So it's it's is it fair to say that was a bit of an upset? Ooh, that's a tricky one. I think on a Grand Slam stage and in Paris. You don't think that's an upset? Okay. Oh, it's hard to say. I think um, I wasn't surprised that he won because mm-hmm. um, I do think TFO is someone who can mentally sort of drift away from matches at times mm. um, over five sets. Um, and I, I think getting over the line is my biggest surprise with that one kind of 7-6 in the fourth because we've seen Sasha in final set tie breaks and in very close matches, particularly this year against kind of Medvedev um, where he hasn't got that result. So I think that's probably a really positive thing for him is that he was able to kind of turn it around, Mm. win two tie breaks um, and also make his mark in that third set. So would it have been nice to see um, and would I have thought that TFO might have edged this one? Probably. Um, but at the same time, I think when you are someone who's been to this stage of Grand Slam so frequently, mm-hmm. um, you are able to find ways to win. And he's defending a semi-final point, so that's going to be um, it's going to be a challenge. But I think it's good to see when a player comes back. It can take a while, but he's put, starting to put it together, and I think that's good for the game. Yeah, and uh, on on a poignant moment as well, because I was I was reading this was. Um... Uh, and the anniversary of um, obviously him having that horrific injury against um, against Rafa being taken off on a, on a on a wheelchair. So um, maybe that was also serving him, uh, you know, some motivation. But yeah, he's certainly, I think, proving his point and finding his best tennis, almost picking up where he left off. Strangely, um, from from last year in the French Open. But um, yeah, Zverev is going to play Grigor Dimitrov next, which feels to me like a little bit of a, an old school throwback match. Dimitrov came through Altmaier in straight sets, 6-4, 6-3, 6-1. Do you think Zverev will have any issues with, with Dimitrov or do you think Dimitrov could spring a surprise? Well, I mean, I think the Altmaier result from Dimitrov, I mean, obviously after that five hour and 26 match, Altmaier mm. was physically struggling Naked. Um, and wasn't able to play his best game. So Dimitrov has kind of sailed through without dropping a set. Um, it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be pretty at times. I think it's going to be very similar very to attritional. the TFO match. Yeah, I think it's going to be a few chances <laughs> missed, a lot of breakpoint chances missed. But for both of them, it's a really big mm. opportunity because Dimitrov um, hasn't been to this sort of stage of a Grand Slam where people, I mean, it's almost reached the point where we don't actually talk about him too much as someone that we think could right. go particularly deep. And that's not because right. we don't think he has the talent. It's much more because it's not something that has, uh, been happening that much recently. I just saw sort of see him, I think, play this role of of he turns up at Grand Sams and, and to a tournament organizer's point of view, yeah, he's a he's a he's a player you could put on the outside courts that, that brings a and attracts a big crowd because of his name. Yeah. Well he's not been into the second week of a Grand Slam since the twenty twenty one Australian Open and before that it was twenty nineteen with that US Open semi final. Mm. So it's definitely a case where he hasn't been able to get past some of these um, early matches and some of these sort of t- regular tour players. I think they've had the best of him. So hopefully they're both inspired, um, but it's going to be a big step up based on who Dimitrov's mm. played so far. That's for sure. And not really surprising, South Americans doing particularly well. Two Argentinians, Francisco Serendolo and Tomas Echeverri came through against higher seeded opposition. Serendolo against Fritz, 
Echeverry against Chorich. And we also had Nicholas Jarry as well take out Marcos Giron in four. So no surprise there as such, I think. But uh, yeah, a little bit disappointing, for, I think, for Borna Chorich. I had him going a bit further than this. Um, is he a player who should be doing better at Grand Slams? Yeah, I think we, we've talked about this before. Um, he's He has a... Um, clearly, he's got a big... Um expectation of himself in a big um kind of uh sense that he is able to do this i think that's something we've seen a lot from his interviews that he really thought he could win the us open at the end of last year and then he lost in the first round um and so i think when he's as we said with the shushing the crowd and and what went down in paris that it's something that it doesn't quite stack up in terms of the the netflix side of things the fame the hype the expectation and the results just aren't quite there. He's still a bubbling under talent for me in terms of he's not pushing into the top four like a Rube Levers. He's not really um, in the mix in the way that you could say, you know, that some players always will be, you know, a Carlos, a Holger, someone that is always in the mix now, has brought themselves up, up that level. So for me, it's a disappointment. He's a good clay player. He hasn't had a great clay season, but he's most dangerous on grass. So I think time will tell, but... So far, I think it's been a case where he hasn't kind of delivered what we would have expected based on some of the results after that Indian Wells triumph. And just before we go to a quick break, just got to give a word to Holger Runa and Kasper Rude because they have also come through. Scandinavians. I know, they're taking over. Ah, I don't know what to do. Um, yes, uh, I mean, Runa was what? Beneficiary of um, that, that withdrawal earlier on. Um, in, in yeah, two against yeah sorry against uh, Gal Monfils came through in straight sets here I think Rude got it done in four that feels to me like we're we're on a we're on a collision course here we are I think uh, it's well Holger I think he's really trying his best not to spend any time on court um, <laughs> after what was quite a tricky first round encounter mm, yeah and Casper um, is playing himself back into form um, which I think is is the sort of thing that Grand Slam tennis can do. I think he mm. probably isn't the best three-set match player um, because if you look at some of them, he would have always sort of dropped a set except for that first first round um, against Ema. But it would be great to see. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's proving harder than you think for some of the seeds to get the wins um, across both both sides of the draw, whether it's, you know, keeping your fitness up. And I think something that, uh, we can all say about Casper is that he he probably has a great immune system um, because he's been playing so much he could play so long and so physically fit. So mm. if it's a war of attrition, as something uh, sort of an illness goes through the locker room, I mean Casper might really benefit there. <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, not yeah, maybe potentially not too far away from from that meetup. But yeah, one more obstacle for each of them both to overcome but uh we're going to take a quick break now but join us in the second half where we will be looking back on day six from the french open so do not go anywhere the boodles is back after a three-year break the ultimate pre-wimbledon tennis event is returning to stoke park from the 27th of june to the 1st of july and we're offering one lucky tennis weekly listener the chance to win a pair of stadium passes to join us at the country estate for a day of world-class tennis in an English garden party setting. Where you can sip champagne, dine in style and mingle with your favourite tennis stars, including Stefanos Tsitsipas, Andre Rublev, Felix Auger-Aliassime, Seb Korda, Lorenzo Massetti, Hubert Hercage, and even more top players to be confirmed in the coming weeks. 
The Boodles is located just 35 minutes from central London and every seat in the stadium is no more than 10 metres from the court, giving every guest the ultimate fan experience on one of the UK's finest grass courts. Tickets start from £90 and attendance is strictly limited to £2,000 per day, so booking early is advised to avoid disappointment. To book, visit their website, theboodles.com. And for your chance to win a pair of stadium passes, all you have to do is follow us on social media at Tennis Weekly Pod, like our competition post and tag a friend that you would like to come with you. Maximum two entries per person, one per social channel on Instagram and Twitter. The competition closes on Sunday the 4th of June at midnight. Winners will be announced on our fourth round catch up on Tuesday the 6th of June. So listen in to find out if you are a lucky winner. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by The Boodles. And now we are going to move on to day six, Chris, which you were you were actually there for. You saw quite a few of the men's matches, which we're going to start with. We're also going to talk about the Arena Sabalenka press conference boycott. Um, but I want to start with the, the night session match, because I was very interested to see how this went. Carlos Alcaraz, Denis Shapovalov... Um, it looked like to me that Shapovalov was actually going to make a make a fight of it. He was up in that, I think, in that second set. And I was like, oh, OK, the crowd are going to get their money's worth from this match. But as a as a as a, as a paying spectator in the crowd, did you did you feel like a little shortchanged by the result, given it was at the end a comfortable win for Alcaraz? Well, if someone told me that it would be um Six one, six four, six two. I would have said, yeah, that sounds about right, based on where <laughs> yeah. Dennis is is at. And in that first set, when Shapovalov won a game at five five love down, and you know the crowd gave the sort of the the pity cheer of like, oh, well done, you've won one game. I was I was sort of thinking, how has Dennis Shapovalov reached this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you have to question it because the talent level is so high. But to get two hours on Shatter in a night match, it was the first night session I've been to. I think it could have gone not so great away. Like, I mean, I was at Hulk, uh, I was sorry, not Holger, I was at Taylor Fritz, um, which went way later than um, the Zverev match, which was his first night match that was moved after the withdrawal of Gale. So um, that was, I mean, that was over so quickly, that match. Um, and so you, you can get unlucky with night matches. So even though the scoreline was 6-1, 6-4, 6-2, when he was up 4-1 in that second set, uh, it did really feel like there was that excitement. Still, we had that moment yeah. of like, oh, we might have a match on our mm-hmm. hands. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was an early break to Alcaraz and then he just served it out in that second set. So um, I'd say I wasn't too disappointed. But when it came to, to Dennis, I mean, I saw him in Stockholm as well last year and you just he just mentally loses it so quickly mm-hmm. in matches. Almost like it's... immediately he went for an overhead, which he should have let bounce, completely missed it. And then that just set the course of things because it's one thing going after your shots, but you still have to be, um, sort of engage your tennis IQ and think about making sure that you make more than you miss and 10 double faults. I mean, he double faulted his lead away. And that, that, that third set was quite sad to watch in fairness because it was not competitive at all. And if you look at the numbers, I mean, he gave so many chances, 16 break points Alcaraz had, and it was only a three set match. So if, I guess from a Dennis perspective, you've got to it's think. Frustrating. Uh, it's frustrating. It's yeah. frustrating. It feels like he on the tour is perhaps the one player with the most 
highest highest talent level but lowest kind of form going on at the moment the the gap is it feels just so massive and it's just so frustrating that you know we're still i think having these conversations on you know Denis Shapovalov you know he's more highlight reel than point construction doesn't necessarily maybe think about strategy as much wants to go for his shots when all the talent frustratingly is is there to see yeah i mean i have to think what is his ambition is he someone who wants to make a really great living on the tour is unable to sort of handle the pressure but still really enjoys playing tennis i feel like he's sort of in that camp because Mm. if you are one of those competitors who is gonna kind of make a big impact and kind of reach world number one win slams you don't lose it mentally after you miss one overhead in the first set um you can't be that fragile when it comes to the mentality on the court so for me he probably sits in that sort of catching of area where he obviously burst of the scene was playing so well but wasn't able to necessarily mentally stay with it and now it looks like as he matures he's actually been able to really produce some great results at slams recently and at the olympics so you have to hope that maturity will be the thing that will get dennis to get that sort of super special result that we're all looking for from him and another match that really failed to live up to the billing was lorenzo massetti versus cam nori massetti for me massetti actually delivering a statement win in the tournament against nori it was an absolute I'm, I'm i'm afraid to say for a british apology it was an absolute demolition job nori really didn't find his feet um, at all in that match i think the less said about the performance the better but for lorenzo massetti he has got carlos alcaraz next do you see massetti challenging Al- alcaraz in ways that he hasn't been challenged well he got i mean he has been taken to a fourth set but do you think massetti could push him all the way or or give him more to think about I mean, I really do. Um, I was at that match as well, because one of the benefits for our listeners, if if you do have a night session ticket, you're able to enter the grounds from 6.30 with the night match not starting before 8.15. So, yeah, so that's something that I didn't know when um, we purchased the tickets. So that was a bonus. And we got ourselves out onto court Simona Mathieu, which was um, a great, great atmosphere. But I mean, Massetti was just in full flight and it looked like Nori had a bit of an injury niggle. He had some strapping um, and he definitely wasn't playing the sort of tennis that you would no. expect from Cam. And he was missing some very uncharacteristic shots whilst Massetti was super focused um, and his court craft and the way he was sort of spreading the ball around the court, it was a bit majestic. I mean, someone like Cam gets balls back and he was regularly being kind of completely um, outmaneuvered. Um, and so it's probably the first time I've watched Massetti play with just complete confidence that he was going to get it done mm. and that this was going to be a com- fully complete performance. And he's beaten him before. Carlos said in his um, interview afterwards, uh, it was in the, I think it was in the Hamburg final, um, Massetti got his first 500 win um, on clay. So they have a bit of history there. And that was mm. when Carlos was up and coming um, as opposed to, you know, the number one, the US Open champion and the, probably the, one of the favorites for this title. So for Massetti, we've seen it before. He's got nothing to lose. He's a lot more mature than when he played Djokovic at the French. And I have this on upset alert. Ooh, okay. I, okay well. I, if I had to say, I think Massetti's going to get it done. Ooh, now that is, that, is, that is fighting tour. That is fighting tour. I mean, another Italian who had a fantastic result was Lorenzo Sonigo, who took out Andrew Rublev in five sets, was two sets to love down, and then one, one in five. So it was five, seven, love six, got bageled in that second set and then six three seven six six three 
I think like similar to Yannick Sinner for Rublev, this will be a sore one. You don't expect players of his quality to let slip a lead of two sets to love, particularly when you bageled your opponent. And yeah, Sonigo, I think he's he's never done this before. I think in his press conference he said it was it was like a miracle. But it was I think it was still a fantastic match and um yeah, really, I guess really disappointing from, from Rublev. Another player who probably would have thought, you know, having come into this tournament as a, you know, Monte Carlo champion, that round three, that's, that's, that's not good enough. It isn't. And he hasn't pushed on after that Monte Carlo result. No, um, no, he hasn't. I think it's almost been a bit like he's won a slam because he wanted it for so long to win a Masters. And then we see that happens after that first slam when there is a natural sort of letdown. And potentially we're sort of in that phase with him with Monte Carlo being obviously one of his goals and dreams and next is a slam so maybe he's putting too much pressure on himself because I mean if you're able to bagel an opponent uh, irrespective of where that falls in a match you should be winning that match because that would say that either you figured it out or they have lost Mm. it mentally and they aren't able to answer the questions that you're asking so that was really surprising because he is such a good front runner but another match that I did see I did see a bit of him this week and He's got everything in the game, but then he still lost a set to Corotin Mute out on Simone Macho again. And I was watching that and I was thinking as I left that match, oh, this is done three sets. And somehow he lost a set. And if you look at the way they play, he could hit the ball probably at 75% speed and still get that done. But again, it's between the years. So that is a big disappointment from Rublev. And it does make me, well, does make, I still ask, like, is he in the mix when it comes to slams? It comes to slams, yeah. Yeah, it's it's tricky. I think you, we still need we still need that little bit more, little bit more from him again in that in the same for me in the same camp as as Yannick Sinner, another player who who did really well. You know, Carlos Alcaraz, Novak Djokovic came through in straights against Davidovich Fakina. Um, this was straight sets, but this was a real test for Djokovic. It took three hours thirty six minutes. I think it was his longest straight sets win. Um, of Djokovic's career at a Grand Slam level. So he was really pushed in those first two sets um, by um, Davidovic Fikina. But um, yeah, Djokovic coming through. Um, so yeah, I think nice, nice test for him. We'll have to see how, if that has any impact on him in, in the future. But um, yeah, it was almost a little bit disappointing. I think Davidovic Fikina didn't, I think he deserved a set from the amount of effort he had put in. Yeah, he definitely did. I mean, it was a real slog, that match. And there wasn't much between them. And if you're matching someone like Djokovic... It was at like two hours, 40 minutes, I think, after two sets of tennis. I was like, wow, this is, uh, you know, this is pretty punishing stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if, if it had gone to another set, imagine how long that would have gone. It would have been a real, mm. um, a real sort of... Uh, superhuman effort for the winner if it had gone five for example so for Djokovic it's probably very important given some questions around his fitness that he is able to get through in three um, and that it wasn't longer than four hours and you know recovery will be as you you get a bit older recovery becomes more difficult so I think it's um, a a very very sort of lucky escape from Djokovic in some respects because um, a set here and there and it could have made some of this progress a little bit less comfortable Mm. but Davidic Fakina, I mean, a good showing, but we're sort of having the same conversations again. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot of it, right? It's very hard mm. to be at the top, stay at the top and, mm. and get it done consistently. And he's struggling to break through in that area. Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, Novak Djokovic won't worry about that. He is into the fourth round. Um, 
Interestingly, on the women's side, Chris, uh, we had Arena Sabalenka. Sabalenka won against Rakimova 6-2, 6-2. And it was interesting because she did not do her press conference afterwards. She did not do an open news conference and she cited it for her own mental health and well-being. Um, she said she did not feel safe during her Wednesday news conference. So this was quite interesting because obviously the, the talk around Sabalenka at the moment is, you know, she's from, from Belarus. People are wondering about her ties with uh, political ties with the, uh, the president there. And these questions keep coming up in, in, uh, in her conferences and she really does not want to answer them. Mm. Um, there are a lot of comparisons, I think, with this being made with, with Naomi Osaka um, at, at the French Open and not doing a press conference for similar reasons uh, as well from, from a mental health point of view. Did you think this was fair game? What, what parallels and what do you take out from it in relation, I think, to the, that Naomi Osaka situation that happened, um, that happened previously? Well, I think it's the French Open have definitely had a role in selecting who she spoke to as well. So I think that's mm. a big difference here is they've taken action and it's not a player who's saying that they kind of aren't able to do it. Um, it's to do with safety. There could easily be no questions on a certain topic, you could say, or one question. But the parallels, I think, is that Naomi was treated as though what she was doing was trying to bring the downfall of the tournament, um, that she wasn't completing yeah. her contractual obligations. Yeah. Like, actually, how dare Naomi Osaka not... Yeah, it was almost like she was entitled. When she? I, I genuinely think that she was in a really, really bad patch from a mental health perspective and she shouldn't have been playing tennis was actually the answer there, mm. was that she needed to take some time out because she wasn't enjoying it. She didn't have the confidence and she didn't have the confidence to answer the questions in the press room because of how she felt about her game on clay. Whereas this feels like Sabalenka doesn't want to answer the questions because you can't say that you don't feel safe when there are people in Ukraine who really don't feel safe. It's such a bad thing to say mm. when you could just go to that press conference. You can say the same line every time. You could do almost like a Rebecca at Wimbledon. Oh, are you a Russian player? You're born in Moscow. Do you have ties to Russia? And she just said the same answer. I played for Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan is the the nation that supported my tennis career. This is what my flag is. And I think that's something that we see players have to do. You default to your factory setting almost of like, this is my media training. This is what I say. And if someone has a problem with you um, and does make it personal, like Marta Kostruk did make it personal, as well as obviously political, I think that's something you have to deal with. Um, whether someone likes you or whether someone doesn't respect you or not, or whether your nation is, is doing something that isn't great, um, it's a case where people have said to make your views clear. She has. She can keep, she can keep saying the same thing. People will stop asking those questions. Um, so I don't, I don't like this and I don't really like the way that it's been handled by the French press, not inviting the BBC, mm. inviting select reporters. It feels a bit like they're trying to minimize, um, Damage limitation. as more and more Ukrainians progress through the draw. Yeah. You know, I think that's the real reason here is that Svitolina is, is still in, Zarenka is still in and Svitolina has done so much for Ukraine and will have an awful lot to say about it. And I think they, they want to try and stop that becoming even more of a media story. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the the, the wariness of the, the tournament organizers must be that Sabalenka is a, you know, is a favorite for for the French Open title. And, and uh, what, is she going to have this have this happen uh, as we go deeper into the competition? What happens, you know, during the if she gets to the final, what happens during the, you know, the on-court ceremony? Um, yeah, it, it, I think, could be an issue that 
could be exacerbated. Snowball. Yeah. And I think that's why it's, this is almost a dangerous step because it sets a precedent. I'm like, okay, where's where's this going for the rest of the tournament? I mean, we'll have to see what happens after her her match today. Interestingly, she's on the night session with Sloane Stevens. Indeed. Chris, I mean, first of all, we just need to like rejoice and celebrate that we've got a ladies match um, in the in the evening slot. It's the first women's night session match. As a big Sloan Stevens fans, what are your what are your hopes going into this match? Because to me, Sloan Stevens has surpassed my hopes and expectations for her already going into round four. Well, she always turns up in Paris. We all know Sloane is one of the best players. It just doesn't always show that on the court every week, I guess. But I was courtside, and I talked about this last podcast, watching her play. It's majestic when she's able to move so well, hit so well. It really is something. And I think this could be a really good matchup for her. It's cold, the night match. That's probably the worst nightmare for Sabalenka. She wants a warm court. She wants that ball to fly through. Um, and to really do some damage. Sloane's defence is impeccable. Um, her and Coco and Eager, I'd say, were the best movers on the tour. So if there's ever a better slot for this match for Sloane, it is this match. And I think Sabalenka, I mean, it sounds like she's not in a great place, so hopefully that won't affect how she plays. But I think this this could be an upset. I mean, I keep, I'm always upset alert, though, Joel. I think I always try and call an upset, so I'm like, I told you it was being upset. Mm. But um, thank goodness there's a night session uh, that's a women's match, and... I mean, is this is it the right move to do it only at the end of the first week when there could have been mm. multiple opportunities early in the week? But we yeah. we take what we can get, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, there's been some interesting talk around. Is this almost like a tokenistic gesture? I really feel it is one match. I mean, I'll I'll let the jury. I still be out until the end of the tournament. See if it's the only one that we're going to have, but. Yeah, I think there is also is there is an argument if that is the case, then is it just better not to to have them as opposed to yeah having some sort of token gesture? Um, but we'll see. But I do think it is a it is certainly going to be a blockbuster encounter. We did have also Chris Jessica Pagula going out. Um, she's the third seed lost lost to Elise Mertens. Hang on, Elise Mertens winning in the third round. That, that's not meant to happen. Yeah, Elise Mertens won 6-1-6-3. But as you alluded to earlier, Jesse Pagula, under the weather like Rebecca for different reasons. There's been some talk of food poisoning. She wrote it in her column for, for BBC Sport in, in the build-up. She was pot- potentially saying, was it some bad, bad piece of fish? Um, well, escargot. Escargot. And she loves mm. them. So that's pretty brave from a dietary perspective. But yeah. clearly hampered by it whatever it was and she saw probably the the slightly more humorous side of things but i mean a big shame for her because again we thought this could be a good opportunity for her to go a little bit further in the tournament but you know elise mertens can play tennis um she really can and she can make it difficult especially if you're someone who isn't feeling great it's a similar sort of um prospect in terms of playing someone like i guess like a sarah cerebus tormo in the sense that she gets Mm -hmm. a lot of balls back she makes you play um, and if she's able to kind of hit winners like she was, I mean, she had a great differential of like 19 winners, um, seven unforced errors. It was super clean. So very surprising. But um, a few people are on the comeback trail this tournament, Joel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've already spoken about Elena Svitolina, but Pavlichenkova, as you mentioned, she's obviously still got some great past memories um, of, of the French Open. She's through to play uh, against Potapova, 
Svitolina as well has got Kasatkina. Yeah, so I, I feel like pa- Pavlichenkov has gone on slightly more under the radar than, than Alina Svitolina, but both on incredible incredible comeback journeys. And, I mean, Pavlichenkov is a player, I think she was talking about, she didn't touch a racket for, for five months. The doctors didn't let her. So to see her back into the, the fourth round again is another... Another impressive and inspiring story in the same vein, I would say, that than than Aline Svitolina, regardless of nationality backgrounds. Yeah, definitely. I think Pavlyuchenkova had no form coming into this at all. But if anyone knows her game, they'll know that she is technically one of the best and always was as a junior. And that's why she had so much junior success. So mm. very pleased to see her back because it's the sort of time in your career where things could go one of two ways. And we've seen it very very challenging returns for people of similar ages like team um, mm, and different yeah. players so I think that's very impressive I think for Svitolina we were talking about the all-time year earners uh, all-time earnings list and she's so high up that and I think her comeback has shown that she can step away from the game she came back she picked up a 250 just into the fourth round at the French Open and I think who who would say that she couldn't go further I really do she believe that flying. she is flying and she's reached two semi-finals um, at slams previously when she did not have form really that year on the tour so she had great form coming into this and i would honestly love it if she went a lot further in this tournament because i think she's so inspiring for so many different reasons and i think the fact that she's willing to come to come back put all this effort in mm. um you know turn up turn up for a gail morfis match as well i mean she's doing overtime yeah, we'll see. I mean, one player, just before we get on to looking at the, the order of play for today, another Elena who has done very, very well this tournament, Elena Avenyasan, a lucky loser into the second week. Doesn't happen very often. Um, she was eliminated by Kayla Day in qualifying round three, but she came through against Clara Torson in round three proper um, in, in Paris, 7-5 in the third. Yeah, this is, I want to just t- touch on this because this is an incredible story because that is just the fifth time a women's player in the open era has made the round of 16 as a lucky wow. loser. And Chris, I know you're a big, I know you're a big WTA fan, but these names I'm, I do not know much about. I don't know. I don't know if you do. I, I, they happened so long ago to me. Hannah Strachanova in 1980, Dana Gilbert, 1982. Nicole Yeagerman, 1988, and Maria Jose Gaidano in 1993. Listeners, let me know. Do you remember any of those? Do you remember any of those players going on on the on crazy lucky loser runs? Because yeah, Avenya San has has added herself to the list. Yeah. Do you think it's going to stop here, or do you think it could go further? Oh, that's a tough one. I think um, if, if Mukova, I think Mukova's probably a player mm. that will will do a very good job against her because she's someone who has a lot of different weapons in her arsenal. It's but a stack I still up. Think but it's, it's still amazing. Up. It's amazing. And I also, I love the names. Not one of them am I aware of. Um, just so <laughs> any of our listeners do know one, please let us know. Yes. And maybe we'll have a bit of research on them to find out, especially, especially if she continues to progress. But mm. um, it is becoming a little bit of a, a Russian and Ukrainian. It is, best. isn't it? It's just noticing that. Kasakina, we've got Pavlyuchenkova, we've got Elena, we're talking about now, we've got Belarusians in that. It's, it's, I mean, this mm. could get interesting. And yeah. interesting, I do not mean in terms of a drama and entertainment perspective, but in an actually politically quite an uncomfortable situation could be could be playing out on one of the bigger yeah. courts. 
Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to we'll wait and see how that develops. As I say, the order of play for today, we've got Kachinov, Sonigo opening up on Suzanne Longlen. That's followed by Mukova, Avenia San, Svitolina, Kasatkina, and then Ofna, Sissipas. And then Pavlichenko, Mertens, Djokovic, Varias, Alcaraz, Massetti, and then Sloane Stevens, Sabalenka in that night session on Philip Chatrier. Chris, before we leave, if there's one, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but if there is one match you are getting a ticket for for today, what, which, which match is it? I think I might surprise you. Oh, I'm going to, not... no, no, no. I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be at Mukova, uh, <laughs> Avenisan. <laughs> what? I'll be over there. No, I'm joking. What? I won't do that. Oh, okay. Actually not. But the ones that I'm really keen, I'd love to see would be Svitolina Kasakina would be my third choice. Steven Sabalenka second, and for me, the big ticket is Alcaraz Massetti. It has to be because they are two young players playing so well. Whereas I think with a Sloan match, it might be one that I mentally can't handle <laughs> the loss if it happens. <laughs> we can give a little update, a tiny update, that at the moment, some of those matches are live and Mertens is a set and a break up. So mm. we'll see if she can close that one out. But which ticket, where are you, Joel? Alcaraz Massetti has got to be. You're joining um, me. You're joining me on yeah, Shatria. I'm, I'm joining you there. Um, Steven Sabalenka, though, is is going to be, uh, hopefully, hopefully delivers hope on its, three, its night sets, session. We really building. hope. Yeah. I can see it being like a 6-1, 2-6, type, type scoreline. But, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. But, um, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly Podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action still to come from Roland Garros. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And all of those handles are Tennis Weekly Pod. And if you would like to see any of the things that we've been posting from Roland Garros, then do check those out because there's lots of things that we've been posting recently. You can also email the show tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back tomorrow at Tennis Weekly HQ for our round four French Open catch up brought to you by the Boodles. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.